capital has infested the world. Its influence is no longer escapable. The most remote part of a rainforest can no longer deny the environmental impact that has been born of capitalistic greed, whilst the most developed of cities can no longer blind us to the streets of people in need. In a world that is controlled by the free flow of capital and its incentives, we need to invest in significant change. Our investment needn't be money, it can be our effort, our camaraderie and our voice. Identity politics hides itself elegantly in the libertarian ideals of autonomy and political freedom, whilst more and more shamelessly alienating minority groups, citing its other core principle of free speech. Our own weapons have been turned against us. Rather than shouting to be heard over others, it's time that we combine our voices in one loud, beautiful harmony. I'm so proud of you. Welcome, I'm Tom. And I'm Fred. So for the next hour or so, there will be no silly questions. Mistakes are permitted, but realizing sooner rather than later is preferred. And we'll be exploring some of the biggest problems in today's world whilst taking a trip to the left. Yeah. There we go. We introduced ourselves. We're, we're really maturing. Mm. We're, we've come into our age and we're... Uh, yeah, we're like a fine know. wine. <laughs> yeah, we're aging nicely in the basement <laughs> yeah. so it's a big one it's been a well i was gonna say a couple of weeks it might even be a few mm. weeks it's, it's sort of edging towards several um but you've not been feeling very well and yeah yeah, yeah. health problems but hopefully getting better and mm. we'll kind of uh, get more and more consistent as it goes along but welcome to any new people who are joining us, because hopefully some people will have found this podcast and this can be the first step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, hopefully a few extra people that we've sent links to will have clicked on those links this time around because it's going to be a bit of a bigger push now. Yeah. This is what we see as our sort of our hard launch episode mm. um, where we we're set up. We have a Patreon even. Mm-hmm. We're real. And so we can have supporters we're going to we've got a couple of milestones there so we've got two tiers at the moment we've got one that's got 50 um sort of spots and we've got one that's got 25 and if we fill those we're going to start doing exclusive episodes and some other things as well and we've got a few things planned for those packages exciting things yeah very exciting things for this episode we we have a few topics planned we last episode went through a lot of momentum and we planned to get through 33 policies in Mm. as many minutes and didn't (laughs) quite manage that but we made some good progress for through a few and then today we want to kind of go back over well what we voted on because we hadn't gotten around to voting at that point it was that night uh or within the next couple of days i think that it was due wasn't it yeah we 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 made it on the night we we hit the deadline yeah (laughs) We also wanted to talk a little bit more about momentum, didn't we? Because yeah. it's possible we didn't sort of do enough of that in the last episode mm-hmm. to explain who they are. Yeah. And are they up to the challenge of addressing the kind of problems that you laid out in the intro in your excellent piece of writing that was written by you? Oh. And it, it, it's <laughs> even more powerful coming from Mr. Business himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Coming from someone who played, who, who got sucked in to the vacuum. <laughs> um yeah Yeah, thank you so are they fred what's what's your sort of thoughts on momentum and whether or not they are 
I'm keen to hear. So I guess the biggest criticisms that come from their main detractors who are outside of party and just in kind of general voting population is that they are kind of quite hard left. And in doing that, they alienate more voters who, you know, see themselves as moderate. To that, I would say that I think a lot of the issues, people would be surprised by how popular they actually are individually. And that a lot of the time it's as taken as a block and also through the prism of media representation that can paint it as unrealistic or um, utopian. But I think as we've outlined in that introduction, it's pretty late in the game here with humanity. And so we do need some kind of solutions which are systemic. And so I think they are just merely one part of a movement that can aim to meet that goal. And so I think they're doing good work from what I know. And I think at the moment, especially, Labour needs it because you have Keir Starmer at the helm who is kind of offering nothing. And this even takes back to Corbyn, who like Momentum are kind of quite similar in their platform, where although they did terribly electorally wise in 2019, like the vote share did still increase. The membership went up under Corbyn. The vote share went up under Corbyn. And so these things can happen. and, And the biggest battle of all is kind of inside people's heads and trying to discover that there's an imaginary that can be expanded and these solutions can be practical as soon as you want them to be. And it's at this moment of fracture after this pandemic and around this pandemic where these things become possible. Yeah, 100%. I think also what's really interesting is when you take them individually and poll on them and ask people how they feel about them, they can sort of be in the late 80% in terms of the buy-in that people have with the policies. I mean, you could consider them to be in some cases like kind of very progressive. Well, I mean, they are in comparison to a lot of what's going on, Mm -hmm. but as in, and dismiss it for that reason when actually you ask people what they're interested in and they poll very well. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're not unrealistic in that sense. Yeah. And it's also a question of like practicality, because on one level, you have the kind of electoral practicality and how much do you need to triangulate to get into power. But there's also the practicality of trying to do things which are actually going to prevent massive crises that are coming and are here. So that practicality can be seen on on two levels, at least. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting when you mentioned Corbyn and the progress, some of the progress that was made there that would go against expectations as well and sort of the position that we find ourselves in now and some of the issues that we have right now, how much they would have been solved by some of the things that were being presented at the time and yeah. being dismissed for the same reasons as policies that we're talking He's about now. He's being proven right, like again and again, especially recently, there's three big ones which have come up, which was firstly broadband as a kind of utility and as something that everyone has the right to in a kind of publicly owned way, which became massive during the pandemic when loads of children didn't have reliable access to the internet for kind of remote learning and all this kind of stuff, which would go amazingly with the way that society is changing at the moment. That's the first one. Then you have the Super League, which has just happened, where in the manifesto, there was policy to democratize football clubs, which would have stopped this breakaway Super League, which is currently happening and now has opened up that debate. It's like he was there too early, right? Because all of his ideas are picked up just afterwards. Um Oh, the NHS stuff with like the privatizing NHS and his documents that he held up, which is now coming to pass. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Super League is a really interesting one in terms of how much it got people engaged in a uh, an issue in, and how much it shows what everybody engaging in an issue yeah. can do to cause a, a significant U-turn. And, you know, it's an interesting sort of 
atmosphere for that to play out in as well. Definitely. When, you know, especially considering the clubs that, some of the clubs that took part, if not all, you know, they, they come from a history of being about the community and in being through that history and through being successful um, have become a brand and, and then as a brand have been corrupted. But it's it's amazing to think of it in terms of the way it applies to other other things. Yeah, we'll probably have an episode on it um, very soon, which will break stuff down in detail, but we can just cover it really briefly, which is, yeah, it's, it's a great kind of rhetorical framing device now because a lot of people who are really into football are quite apolitical and not that bothered about politics but it's so popular in this country it's such a massive institution and so this is a great way to literally go down and say the impact of money in football has made it worse the kind of monopolizing interest of those at the top who are, who are very powerful and wealthy have been directly against the kind of incentives that make football enjoyable and so if you see that's a problem there then you have to explain why it's not a problem in any other area why is it not applicable we would argue it is, but you'd have to give quite a specific explanation for why that's not the case in other sectors. 100%. I think it's also really, it only just occurred to me now, but if I think about, say, for example, my granddad and his political stance, hmm. which isn't the same as ours, but then think about his reaction to, say, the rise of sponsoring and the various implications of the direction that sport has gone in, and how opposed to some of those things, it's an interesting point of contrast and yeah. uh, like of coming together. People have a deeper relationship with it in a way that then is potentially transferable to what we're talking about in yeah. a wider sense. Yeah, and it's an opening really because you see when people come together and say that like, everybody basically saw this plan that like had a lot of wealth and power behind it and said no. And everybody said no. And everybody came together and said no. There were protests and everything. Politicians were getting on board and it fell apart. And so this just shows the power that we have when we agree that we want something to happen or we want something to not happen. And in this era where politics has become separated from people's lives in such a way, cultural things like football still have this enmeshing quality. And so if we can build this political consciousness that this is what can happen in politics. And obviously... You know, I would say it's more important than football, but either way, it's important. So 100%. I was in London near Emirates Stadium and I could hear the protests. They were so loud. That's really cool. I, I, I support Bournemouth. So, you know, we, we didn't get involved. You know, we, we, we stayed out of it for um, <laughs> just for print out of principle. <laughs> yeah. So momentum, 33 is potentially still a little bit unreasonable for this episode. And the other thing that we want to get around to is our first request, which has been to talk about proportional representation mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of democratic voting systems. And so that's also on the agenda um, for today. So as a part of trying to get through what is still a list of, is it 15? It, what's interesting about it is it itself is a vote on among other things, a change of voting system. So it's using a kind of preferential ranked voting system. And one of the policies which we chose was a change of first past the post to proportional representation. So it's quite meta. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So that's the last one we're going to do because we go into it. Hmm. So the first one, and I don't know how many of these we did last episode because it was like three years ago now. Yeah, um, <laughs> a different time. So should we go through the list of the uh, policies that we voted for? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. So the order that we voted for them in, and we can come back to a couple. So the first one actually is one that we're going to come back to right at the end. It's changing politics for the many, not the few. And we'll break that one down in a little bit. Mm-hmm. The second one is build back fairer, uh, which is to attack poverty and inequality. So we put this one sort of up there because it included quite a few quite key Mm. it was exactly what we're talking about where it's trying to use the crisis that's currently happening in order to not go back to normal but to change systems in a way that you can more easily during crisis to be a fairer distribution a fairer society on the other side of this thing so it's very structural and it's quite a broad policy set again so it includes things like increased universal credit extension and strengthening of furlough schemes minimum wage of 12 pounds an hour banning of zero hour contracts and building more council homes. So we put that high because exactly as, again, as we outlined, this is the time that we need these things. And the next one was for global climate justice. One of the main points of this is phasing out all high carbon industries Mm. with a just transition and supporting workers. I mean, with this point, I mean, it comes back to something that we talk about quite a bit around sort of the economy that it would produce for itself anyway and the jobs that it would create. Yeah. And this is this is big right now in the news cycle because Biden's just come out and done a big speech kind of reasserting the US's climate goals on the world stage. Well, it's supposed to be Boris Johnson's year, isn't it, for showing how climate conscious the uk is Mm. and everything and uh we're hosting the the global climate summit yeah and same year is almost passing a new coal mine and yeah and various other things it's crazy really Mm. and so a lot of a lot of countries are agreeing to targets together at the moment which is great because you've got international collaboration and a lot of the goals are surprisingly ambitious in a good way then the fine print is always are they going to meet them? And what methods are they using in order to seem like they meet them? And when you start looking at that stuff, it gets a bit murkier. But the goals are better than I thought they would be. Well, it's, it's once, once you pass that, I mean, we need to do a whole episode on this at some point. Yeah. But I mean, when you pass that sort of threshold of once you go past the one point one and a half degrees rise in temperatures, like you're not going to come back. You don't just suddenly go like, okay, well, okay, now we'll do it. And then just pull it back. I mean, it's infinitely harder to prevent it very very soon yeah and like human driven climate change has been exposed by scientists quite clearly by at least the 1970s for example so if we'd started doing that kind of stuff then that's what like 50 years ago 50 plus years ago so it makes me mad i mean one of the things that i still i've actually got on my list of things that i want to look into and then come to a conclusion on so i'll bring it back up another time but like whether it's fact or not to be found out Mm -hmm. things that winds me up if it is true is the fact that the first car was battery powered oh yeah and and that battery technology like the ip for a lot of that was bought up around the same sort of time that we're talking about there like the 60s 70s and whatnot and by uh oil companies and Mm -hmm. shelved you know so like people couldn't do it but it was shelved the the development of battery technology would have been so much more than it is now and you know obviously we're in a pretty good place with battery technology we could get going on that quite quickly now i mean just crazy i mean yeah 50 years ago and and when it was discovered it was mostly discovered by people related to the fossil fuel industry and then it was buried and there was misinformation campaigns very specifically trying to discredit the idea and you know these people 
directly chose their own enrichment at such a vast scale over humanity's future and so potentially millions of people are going to die as a result of their decisions and like no justice was ever brought against them they haven't been touched by anybody and you know because the kind of expansive and chaotic way this can progress they could be responsible for genocides essentially yeah yeah exactly tried in court for uh actions that can be very specifically sort of consciously you know linked to in terms of what they were thinking at the time when they made the decisions that they did that led us to where we are now. I mean, one just very quick thing I, I sort of was reading about the other day is this sort of institution called Client Earth, which is calling for policymakers to ban all fossil fuel company ads unless they do some sort of tobacco style mm. warning, which talks about the risks of global heating to the, to the planet and to people. Mm. And I mean, it's at the moment, greenwashing is just so clear to be seen massive companies running adverts which are talking about how they're carbon neutral and and they are really really sort of doing everything that they can to mislead us the consumer as you know on on what initiatives that they're doing i mean you know it's it's pretty yeah terrible so a hundred companies are responsible for 71 percent of global emissions right now and the ceos of those companies have names and addresses yeah yeah i was just trying to very quickly look up um so here's here's a few claims that are not mine they are client earths although i'm confident in their reliability exxon mobil advertising suggested that its experimental algae biofuels could one day reduce transport emissions while it has no company-wide net zero target and its 2025 emission reduction targets do not include the vast majority of emissions resulting from its products Mm. saudi arabia's aramco said it conducted business in a way that addresses the climate challenge, yet is the world's largest corporate greenhouse gas emitter and plans to continue exploring for more oil and gas, despite having reserves greater than those of Exxon, Chevron, Shell, BP and Total combined. So it's still looking for oil and it has that much already. And we need to be off of it. Yeah. We need to get off. Yeah. We've got, we know we have enough of it, making a small assumption here. But I mean, considering America has like buried barrels of oil into like the ground to mm. sort of have enough for if they ever needed to supply themselves. I'm pretty sure we have enough oil already to kind of see us through the transition that we need to complete like relatively mm. soon. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a few others as well, but it's crazy. And like we've done it with vaccines. Think how much quicker we arrived at vaccines than people thought, including me, when the international community came together and decided we need to do this. So we can we can do this with climate change. And again, with vaccines, this is probably a good metaphor. The way that the vaccines are now being hoarded and the licenses for them are being kept by people like Bill Gates and Biden is also refusing to budge on this, where the global south needs to be bailed out. And not just for them, but for us, because it makes things more dangerous. It's like in everybody's interest, apart from the kind of profits of private big pharma companies. 100%. These contradictions are made so clear. Yeah. Oh, when I was writing the the piece, which like those first few paragraphs are taken from, but I, I'm sort of finishing up and will post online this, the, the full piece. One of the things that I didn't, is in the rest of it is this statistic, which is over three given months, 3.4 trillion US dollars is spent on wealth producing goods, such as offices, railways, you know, schools, machinery, green initiatives or whatever it might be you know in terms of the investment that this is going to take to do a massive u-turn right now and be green next year like i, I'm, I know it's crazy and it's not gonna happen, yeah but let's say it was 5.1 trillion 
US dollars just sloshes around doing nothing. So 3.4 is invested trillion, 5.1 trillion is not because of the various other incentives which take a while to go into that just meaning that people aren't really investing wealth and just hoarding it, which you can also see in the massive gaps in wealth that are forming. Well, I mean, have been here for a long time, but are continuing greater. And Mm. 5.1 trillion US dollars would in three months would go quite far, I would say, in you know a few countries <laughs> yeah some pretty big ones too to make a massive transition and that's three and you'll make and you'll make back more than that yeah. through through the things through the crises that you avoid and also through the kind of stimulus into jobs and just into productive sectors it will come back tenfold yeah within a period of time that you know these greedy people can also wait and probably see you know it's it's <laughs> it's, it's not going to take forever for that to start paying dividends and i mean even yeah. if it did let, let's sort of save the planet but it wouldn't it wouldn't so we, we put that one quite high on the list yeah yeah so media democracy was the next one contribute to media democracy by donating to our patreon <laughs> yeah we should do something on on the server as well. So when you support us on Patreon, you'll you'll gain access to our Discord server as well. Which if you're not on it, it's like a messaging app, and it's worth kind of being on just to be on one server. Like you don't have to then accumulate loads, but you'd be in our sort of server. And the idea is that we're going to have a bit of a community that could talk as well. And one of the other things that we'll try and maybe do is have a space for people to talk about topics that are both on the podcast, suggest topics. And and we'll sort of have our own mini democracy on yeah on our server. And it's very much in the same vision as this podcast, where there are no stupid questions, and let's let's ask them and let's find out and learn. Absolutely. And disagree and talk about it. Yeah, that's actually a really fun thing to do. If people haven't yet tried it much and find it quite uncomfortable, then try it with a few strangers. Conversations are good, I think, and and I think like kind of yeah. that's all we're trying to do here, right? So. The media democracy one that we post, uh, that voted for is actually called media reform. If you think monopolies of wealth and power within football are a bad thing, then having that within media with the very screen between us and what's happening elsewhere in the world, that's got to be worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think about the power that media has over us right now, it's unconsciously the control it's had over me throughout my life that I'm still yet to unbind and like kind of restructure. And only through sort of being hopefully open-minded enough to like continue to try and do that, do people escape the grip of the things that they're brought up seeing. And you're brought up seeing the things which mega corporations have accumulated and bought, you know, like they bought up different media outlets that once were independent, maybe sort of came from a direction which was well intended. And so they buy that goodwill, you know, like sort of without people realizing and they, they take that business and they, they, they absorb it into themselves. And they have that impact. It was actually funny the other day. I was I was listening to a soundtrack from High School Musical <laughs> and it went on to that song, which is like stick to the status quo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you just sort of think, oh, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) stick to the stuff, you know, and it's just the power that that even has. Like, I just sort of was thinking at the time, I mean, I've gone down to a very niche sort of very specific (laughs) thing, but it just made me think of it because it was a few days ago. Mm. And I was just thinking, that's crazy. Like kind of the ideas, it, it has the power of planting in people. And it's from a business, Disney in that instance, who has an empire to feed. Uh, yeah, when we when we talk about stability, political stability and stuff, and a lot of people 
think you know things are bad but they could be worse they could be less stable we're talking about things which are going to destabilize potentially everything and so taking big action now to prevent that is in aid of stability but the people who are currently the in the uh, metaphor of high school musical the um Sharpays of the world, Richard Murdoch, <laughs> are basically telling people to cling to the status quo because they're on the top of it. And so it's an apt metaphor. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely. If you want to bake a souffle, if you want to pop and lock, yeah, that should be all right. Yeah, absolutely. Media democracy is your way way to doing those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, um, yeah. So I, I think that's a really strong one. I mean, we're obviously participating in a push for a bit more representation in media and you know the way that you get representation into something is for it to be democratically sourced you know representation Mm -hmm. is via the means of the people that are consuming it rather than the people who are profiting from it that's probably going to have a better and the biggest effect the biggest negative effect of it is really limiting the conversation within the confines of what they deem acceptable because in talking about the 2019 election again it's kind of the main criticism was it's too much good stuff it's unrealistic compared to it's you know you're accepting that line where it's like we need a lot of big changes in order to make things better and even if it's impossible to get all those things done attempting and trying to do as many of them as as possible we're still better than quote unquote realistically offering not very much so a lot of the elections come down to one side saying we can do better and the other side saying no we can't Hmm. i i don't Again, this is now kind of, we should probably deal in the world of things that we can change. And I don't think uh, people's opinions being that will change anytime soon. Like we have to find a way to communicate effectively with people who feel that way. And you can Mm. see where that sort of almost pessimism comes from in terms of the past. And we'd all have to suddenly, it feels like we all have to suddenly be optimistic in order for enough sort of momentum to come forward in to make change but actually there's less than that that's needed to to make change we just need some motivation you know we need a a, just a big enough crowd to get get going and that's the thing about momentum right the force not the not the um institution that once it's building it will keep building and we're armed with the knowledge that when people are in the right place at the right time and asking the right questions people can change their minds very quickly and that happens also during crisis. So that's why we did media democracy. So then, th- then there was wealth tax, the detrimental effect that it's having on the UK democratic political process, skewing decision making in favour of the very wealthy and taxing them more appropriately, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's basically closed tax loopholes so you get more of what you're asking for and then ask for more. Yeah. I had a like a dealing in this today, actually. So, so I was trying to do something at work and... I'm I'm basically going to get taxed it again. So like the thing it's going to cost me, it's going to cost seventy percent uh, on top to have achieved it, right? And and it is a taxable transaction completely. But I'm I'm getting taxed like seventy percent, and mm. and I I'm in a kind of medium place here, you know. But the rich are paying zero point something percent. Yeah. On billions. On billions, on trillions, they they will literally pay. And I mean, it's become a joke and like sitcom slash panel show joke worthy where it's kind of in the the norm. It's an accepted thing now. Or I, I think it's maybe you can see some discourse kind of reemerging from it. But I swear it's gone through like a few years or however many years of just being a joke. 
which is a really harmful thing, actually, um, mm. because it, it stopped being something that actually pierced. I mean, things lose their like kind of from that they're going to if, if they don't get tackled when they mean something, they kind of lose yeah. that kind of bite that they have. But it's not a joke. Zero like, you know, all these things about Starbucks or whoever it might be. Yeah. Jimmy Amazon, Carr. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoever's yeah. avoiding taxes. It's not cool. I mean, no. I'm underplaying it. <laughs> but I just kind of didn't want to be too aggressive. I, I kind of, in, in the sense that I want it to be that we just look at it for what it is. And, you know, it's 0%. I was uh, watching a thing recently that was talking about the political project to try to make public the kind of private wealth that exists today. Like, you know how extremely wealthy people are basically, they want a pool in their house so they can be away from the public. They want a gym in their house. They can be away from the public. They want cinemas. They want, it kind of gets more and more grandiose. But if we focus on funding things in the public that everyone has access to, and we, and we take that private wealth at the enormous level back, then we can just reorient society around those goals. And it uses so much less resources to have public things to enjoy as well because you don't need like one in every house the same way that if you have a lot more trains and a lot fewer cars you're making public that which was private and therefore using less resources more efficient with resources and it's a change of priorities it's an even more beautiful experience in the, the things that you kind of would describe in there specifically you know if those things are yeah. just done well in the public domain yeah you know in a beautiful <laughs> and that and that thing about changing minds like maybe we, maybe i'll really quickly try to do the most basic explanation of marx's idea of the um, base and the superstructure because i saw this put in quite a good way recently where it's compared to the body and the mind so do that. And I mean, in order to do that, make sure you just contextualize it well. And yeah. I think that's a really useful thing to touch on. Yeah. So yeah, a, b a big idea that Karl Marx used was the idea that society has a base and a superstructure. The base is the kind of material aspects of society, the factories, the mode of production, which like, for example, we live in capitalism now, that the very structures of power, wealth, creation, and society, those physical things which I saw described simply as like a, the body as a metaphor. And then you have the mind or the superstructure, which emerges from that base, which is all the kind of cultural things, all these social things, how we see each other as related to people and nations and everything that makes up our reality. That's the stuff which, you know, we think is just normal, but all those things are extremely specific and extremely historically influenced. Yeah. And so... His idea is that the base influences the superstructure and the superstructure then influences the base and there's a kind of feedback loop that changes over time. And so that idea about once we make some changes, consciousness is transformed and we are therefore able to make new changes. So that's that momentum we're trying to build up, that feedback loop in a positive spiral, the very inverse of that negative spiral, which we've been on for decades, means that, you know, let's say we take some of that private wealth back, we put it into the public, we have the idea of public luxury rather than private luxury if we center that more in our society then not only will that change society but then it change people's minds so once we think about it as we have these trains that can take us where we want we have these swimming pools we have these tennis courts we can go to they're publicly owned there's no big fence saying this is my private property i have it on here that will in turn change people's consciousness and like political ideas and that can then keep changing and that's what we need yeah definitely when we talk about these things and then i sort of get distracted uh, by my own thoughts where I sort of start to mm. consider things like 
if we're going to leave the planet soon, if we escape, this is like a moment. I mean, obviously, that's a moment that's not happened before, but that's a moment that's not happened before in the sense that the influences of the state of the world at the point where we make those sorts of changes, those mm. sorts of moments of progression to leave in the state that we're in now, I feel is like a pretty scary yeah. idea as well. And how baked in these things are, which will then take with us. Like, exactly. the sim- like the simple example that the wealthiest person in the world, the person who's f- like at the forefront charge of this kind of interplanetary progress, like his wealth was from apartheid South Africa in emerald mines, where his wealth was like taken from slaves, basically. So th- this is this is our legacy. Uh, we're going to also do some episodes looking back at things like to do with the British Empire, where the idea is that Britain today has not acknowledged in any way its colonial past. And these kind of patriotisms are built around the idea that we were amazing and we can still be that on the on the world stage when really we need to take a look back, square what we what we have been and focus on what we are now, which isn't a superpower. Yeah, not flying flags behind us, you know, sort of like no. <laughs> it's completely moving in the other direction in those instances, isn't it? Which yeah. is it's a really interesting point in time because you've got two things pulling in very different directions. Like as in there's movement there's also like this this counterweight that's being applied and you can see it becoming more and more kind of grotesque and it's happening almost at a speed where it's not able to hide itself and hopefully that's a moment where we look at it and we acknowledge it and we go like okay this needs we can change this and Mm -hmm. and because it's sort of as obvious as it's becoming in some ways i mean if you look out for it i've heard it described as the second gilded age because the gilded age was in sometime i think late 1800s but it was when like wealth inequality was massive and politics was in a similar way so kind of disconnected to the actual reality and that's what's happening today like the focus becomes flags the focus becomes this stuff which has no material basis at all and the class has nothing to do with how people vote everything is disconnected and free-floating and that's just intensified by things like the internet and the way that they structurally work is we're we're not talking about reality anymore uh, most of the time in politics I um, want to, in a future episode, pitch an idea for a new social media platform. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's almost... It's... Yeah, talking about democratic media, democratic social media. Yeah. Well, you're giving away half the idea there. Bloody hell. <laughs> I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm joking. It's, um, it's, I've, I'm getting to a point now where it's quite well baked and I want people to run away and do it because, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about everybody you know it needs to be done and it's all about everybody so just i think there's we, we could create a community and build our own social media let's do that we'll do mm. that sometime i've got an idea mm. I'll, I'll let you know it'll be between us the whole world mm. yeah <laughs> the next topic was migrants welcome and deportations in the racist hostile environment i think we talked about this one yeah okay cool in which case we've yeah done this policy a very important one which made it quite high on our list so we can move on to green jobs uh, i think you might have spoken about that as well very important one which made it quite high up in our list so we can move on to universal basic income i think we talked yes. about that have we done that one? yeah i think we did yeah which is a very important one so it made it quite high up on our list uh <laughs> 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 um so this one's refounding the welfare state and establishing universal basic services so this includes the concept of a national food service uh, mm-hmm. based on moving food insecurity, a national housing yeah. service based on mass social housing. And just to highlight again how 
clear these kind of things are after the crisis of the Second World War, the Clement Attlee Labour government founded the NHS. And if we had no NHS and that was proposed by Labour today, the Conservatives would say that's unrealistic and they can't do it. But because it's already here and they've inherited it, they kind of use that as a symbol of patriotism and they defend it, at least rhetorically, maybe not very structurally. But, you know, what we've inherited, we see as normal. And if we establish new national services today, they don't have to be seen as unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. And what you were just saying just made me think about the (laughs) you're right with how they use the NHS as that sort of symbol of patriotism and stand by it to, to the extent that it supports them on the other things that they're trying to do. And then they give a real terms pay cut to NHS workers and increase the budget for Trident nuclear program by more than they would ever allocate to NHS. So, I mean, I think that pokes a hole through the way that they hold it up in high regard, you know, on a news program when they're being interviewed and they're talking about how amazing it is. And so, you know, I don't think we could ever hope for this from a Tory government. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that talking about creating some kind of national food service these policies are good even for starting conversations and asking questions because you know we we have the nhs because we consider that health is a universal right in this country which is not in for example america so why isn't food held in the same regard why can't kind of food security be something that the state has to give to people who live here uh, as a right because it's as important because it's so essentially related to health yeah good question and housing i mean similar thing you know um yeah, it's, it's really like, you know, the idea of um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where it kind of begins with like the, your basic physical needs, like shelter, water, food, air, those kinds of things. Each time you climb up, it becomes something which you're kind of progressing in a human life. And the top is like some form of self-actualization, where you feel in sync with all these things in your lives. Well, the bottom rung of our societal ladder shouldn't, should definitely not be any lower than the bottom of that needs hierarchy. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Another thing that's in this post that I will put out around the same time as we uh, post this podcast so people can read it if they're interested. But a recent report by the UN shows that we produce 923 million tonnes of food waste every year, um, Mm. an amount that would fill 23 million 40 tonne trucks, which Mm. bumper to bumper would circle the earth seven times. Oh, God. That's how much food waste we produce every year. Well, you know what? I'll plug I'll plug an animation I made years ago that was about um, world hunger, which I'll put in the show notes. It, it basically says like one third of all food is that's produced is wasted. Yeah, that'd be good. So go watch that. And and I think this one, you know, could be spoken about for ages. Um, but I think our mission needs to be to finish this list. Um, yeah. So next one is drug policy reform. We've talked about the challenges of drug policy and the decriminalization of drugs before, right? Not as a part of this policy list, but I think the episode or two before. Yeah, it's very simple, isn't it? It's just kind of reframing it. Like the idea of the war on drugs is basically not very effective thick, like aim to try to accomplish. You shouldn't be trying to fight drugs. You should be trying to like alleviate the problems that addiction can emerge from and to alleviate the problems of addiction itself which is which shouldn't be a war 
Yeah, you shouldn't be putting people in prison for having a dependency on a substance or, you know, sort of mental health issues that potentially lead them to the abuse of a substance. And also beyond that, not even more crazily, but like kind of in a completely harmless way, like some other drugs that get you, can get you arrested and put in prison, which like have just literally no negative, imp- you know, as in compared to po- drugs that are legal, you know, um, and people go to prison for years for it. And and if, if it's something that they need to get off of, if it's a, an, an unhealthy relationship that they have with a particular substance, they should be supported. Like the investment mm. shouldn't be in a prison system. It should be in mm. a rehabilitation. Uh, yeah. And for me, it's always the specifics which make you question stuff. Because like, say say there's a referendum and you're, and you're trying to talk about legalization of drugs, for example. If you're voting to maintain the kind of current stance on these things it's quite specific it's saying if somebody has possession of sometimes a plant sometimes a chemical that the state can take them and lock them in a cage and leave them in the cage for a long time it's a very specific thing that, that we're talking about here and and so the people who say that that exact thing is perhaps not the best way of going about it it's not saying that much to say that, that there's possibly different solutions and it, as we're talking about as a species you know People can be put into cages for years at a time for owning certain plants. And we're talking about trying to move to other planets. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, completely. The next one is a four-day work week for society in which uh, we work to live, not live to work. What was mm. the... We were having a conversation a few weeks back and you were, you sort of referenced the the mindset almost of like kind of the need to work. And does mm. that remind you of what I'm asking? about the kind of protestantism legacy yeah yeah could you remind me of that as well as the listeners that was the idea that a lot of our culture around work and around kind of suffering for work and living to labor and all those kinds of things are a legacy of protestantism in the west and puritanism and those different kinds of christianity where you know we suffer on this earth and we work and that's kind of our, our lot and once we do that, we'll kind of have a place in heaven, which, you know, a lot of times these things lose their specific meanings over time, but they're still in that collective unconscious as ideals. And one effect of having capitalism as we do currently, where if you're a worker, you have to sell your labor for wages. It means that a lot of jobs are created functionally because everybody needs to have one in order to live. And these are things that quite often aren't very important. And if we kind of reorient our focuses on what we need to progress and what we need to sustain people a lot of the jobs that currently exist don't need to exist a lot of the jobs that currently exist can be automated and i can't remember if i mentioned this in the last episode but i thought a clear way of putting it was if automation is a threat to workers then the society is not very good if automation is seen as a liberation for workers then the society is better and as it's currently happening and unfolding we see it's it's definitely a a threat and by that, when you say sort of a th- uh, um, if it's good, you, you mean sort of functioning in terms of what it should provide to the people who, for example, would be put out of work if their job was automated. Yeah. Yeah. As in if, if the system supported, like, as in let's just kind of go outlandish and say, you know, there's there's a there's a system that in, ensures that anybody who isn't working is sort of paid a at a level, which means that they can live a good life. And that that isn't emptying the banks and causing bad behavior because the, the system is working differently to how it does now, you know, as in we're not changing one thing and leaving everything else the way that it is. Yeah. Um, then 
yeah i mean what who wouldn't be like okay amazing god yeah please do automate my job and mm. free me from the five-day week that i'm doing sat at a desk inputting data into cells or whatever it might you know be yeah i mean yeah a computer could do that and also you could be sat you know having, having a nice time in the in your garden or yeah. doing something else you could be figuring out how we yeah democratize energy uh which is an idea that also was put to me recently and i've been thinking about more yeah, yeah. and everyone would have to work less and everybody could pursue things that are collectively useful and individually useful or just entertaining for themselves you know all these people who would be freed from poverty with these kind of systemic changes are people who could come up with the next whatever you know like that old saying like how many einsteins have just like died in the gutter this might be slightly tangential but another idea that i heard recently which was really interesting around that is the idea of intelligence and you know a lot of right-wing propaganda kind of circles around the idea that there are people who are more intelligent and less intelligent and we need to try to breed in a way or change society in a way which there's more intellectuals well the interesting thing is that kind of what's defined as intellect changes when society has different things which need to be accomplished so you know someone today might be seen as intelligent for being like a savvy political diva (laughs) (laughs) operator maybe yeah but you know in, in in the past when like let's say war with swords is one of the main forces if you're very kind of good at using swords you can get up the ranks to become a general and that is a kind of intellect of physical intellect and tactical maneuvers and as society changes different things are needed like now we need people who can code people that can do all this kind of stuff which if you had that kind of brain in the middle ages you're not going to go very far yeah and so yeah if you had an analytical brain in a period of time where analyzing everything is just going to get you killed yeah then it wouldn't get you far at all and you know when if if we moved into a society that was had more social connections and the and enabled us to support each other then sort of emotional intelligence and that kind of nature which you know isn't necessarily inherent at all with uh, political divas <laughs> um wouldn't mm. wouldn't necessarily you know that you, we'd need something else i think that's a yeah a good point yeah that links really well with that idea that we live in this or, this current political order and then people take from that that that's like something innate about humans but humans are nothing if not adaptable and they can adapt to things so quickly think how quickly like the pandemic seemed relatively normal to your everyday life and how huge that change was well that's the idea that what is normal for humans kind of emerges from our society and that doesn't say something innate about humans that more says something about how we see ourselves as subjects interrelated within that system as we were talking about when that changes we can change the superstructure in the base yeah there's a quote there's a quote i read recently from um oh yeah from marx which i thought was funny because it's basically the opposite of that famous thatcher quote where she says there is no society there's only individuals And he says, society does not consist of individuals, but expresses the sum of interrelations, the relations within which these individuals stand. And so, so much about who we are relates to how we are seen and how we fit into a bigger network. If there's a human in like an empty void born by themselves walking around, they wouldn't even necessarily know that they are a person. They are, you know, they don't know what they are. And think about the different kinds of societies that have existed, the dominant ideas that there's been in those societies, how different they are to now and how different they could be in the future. On that point around sort of individuals and and how they, they play a role in a wider thing, but we've been made to think about ourselves. I think 
it's interesting like the the parallels you could almost draw between the way that that's being done at a local level in terms of the way that we think about our own sort of requirements and our own incentives and in fact you know that then leads us to sort of think about things in a much more survivalist way when it comes to what we think we need to vote for and what will benefit us and sort of if we have property then we need to fight for prop like the rights that are going to benefit us and not necessarily those who haven't kind of got that and so it's at a disadvantage to others and then you know immigration policy and whatnot when, when it comes to people entering mm. the company the country and and sort of talking about well those are our jobs because you're thinking about fending for yourself but actually you're yeah. sort of not realizing that it then supports something wider it, it all calibrates your mind in a way which is sort of completely against your own interest mm-hmm. and everybody's to take it back to a high school musical song we're all in this together we're all in this <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so what are the last policies and then and then we'll say which ones won the primary because we have the results yeah so the last policies um so we did council housing was the next one and then the remaining four that we voted for were with a very similar sort of focus and it was Yemen, Palestine, the Uyghurs and ending Islamophobia. Hmm. All of which we'll talk about in upcoming episodes I think. Yeah yeah, exactly those four are kind of on the list for things that we really need to talk about. So that was our full list of what we voted for. The very first point that we touched on was changing politics and the kind of the voting system which we were going to come back to but the policies that were voted through from that i mean from the 33 so yeah these are the ones that were voted through the top eight which are now momentum is taken on as their policy platform which they're going to push in the labor conference later this year to try to get into the manifesto which we'll see how accommodating people are which are one 15 pound minimum wage and dignity in work two time for proportional representation which we'll come on to Three, global climate justice. Four, build council housing and end homelessness. Five, green jobs revolution. Six, build back fairer, attack poverty and inequality. Seven, reject integrated care systems, renationalize England's NHS and social care. And eight, a four day week for a society in which we work to live, not live to work. Quite a lot of ours got through, didn't they? Yeah, so we've done pretty well there. Mm. And as I, as I probably would have predicted, there's there's not many of the international ones. Yes, which I think is the main is the main kind of area that was omitted. Yeah, I agree. I think when it comes to that, it's an interesting one because I was conscious yeah. even with our own list that kind of the international ones were quite low down on our list. And yeah. I mean, if in many ways they were sort of diluted, you know, in in some of the things that we put higher up, it was because they contained multiple things that could be addressed. And mm. the international ones, like we need to solve all of those things in a very like you know different issues, but in with a similar push mm. and and an ideal world, like kind of you know they could have had a very heavy vote higher up for us. But I also think that, and you've touched on this before, that those sorts of changes will come from addressing our immediate societal problems that that inflict upon us potentially even as we've just been talking about those those viewpoints which are then causing a mentality which means that you know we we aren't helping the way that we should be Mm -hmm. i think i think there's probably an important danger to be aware of despite that which is we could become quite inward looking and like we're fixing our own house you know yeah completely 
but then, uh, then there's also something to be said where we can't really do good things abroad until we have our stuff in order so it's like it's almost like i agree i agree here on the, in, in an international way with like a jordan peterson idea which i don't agree with individually yeah. which is like set your own house in order before you go and do things but there's something to be said for that but yeah like i suppose the the uh, risk is becoming a bit like the nordic model where you're quite successfully socially oriented at home but you don't do that much abroad and you're quite inward looking but yeah that's something to navigate absolutely yeah i mean like for example the humanitarian crisis that's currently sort of in in india and you know sort of through covid and whatnot like kind of supporting countries who are not able to Mm. do what they need to right now and and we should be straight there and um last i checked we weren't yeah it's like this is our government and it's our country you know we should expect we should have higher expectations this is something i always say which annoys me about boomers specifically is this is a direct message to boomers to please consider which is basically expect less of service staff and expect more of politicians because the kind of disparity of power there is immense and i think people let politicians off too easily and get too annoyed at like you know just waged workers who are just like (laughs) giving you a coffee or whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's the true. I mean, the only job that the politicians are there to do is serve, like, serve the people. Serve us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there we go. We've covered the policies. I mean, I don't think I'm going to recommend that we do. We try and cover 33 policies again in that no. <laughs> in that way. <laughs> and we covered we covered a lot in a, in a way that's quite oriented around systems, which I think is good. Completely. I think it, it, they, there's a something that feeds through all of them as well you know it sort of they, they talk to each other as well as mm-hmm. you know to a to a bigger yeah. picture um, and it was about us getting quite practical and thinking like here and now what can we do policy wise to address these problems which we're, we're constantly talking about and you know bearing in mind things like electoralism and thinking like monarchy abolition well it's not going to happen now but we need to do these things yeah, including the voting system, which made it into the momentum's sort of policies that it's like kind of yeah. taking forward, and that has been asked for us to talk about. And uh, yeah. you know, so so if you have requests, then let us know. Yeah, if you do, please do. A good place to do that is in the Discord server, which uh, we'd welcome. We'd love you to join. And as mm-hmm. I say, the instructions on how to join it are emailed to you when if you were to if you were to support us i'm not going to plug it this often in every episode but it's a new thing yeah oh yeah yeah shiny so voting yeah and voting systems Mm. and the way that they work and ways that we would change them yeah and the kind of key options that we have in front of us in terms of like kind of feasible uh directions that we could take Mm -hmm. yeah i did a bit of research on this today so i know some basics and some of the things to think about around it which is that there's, you know, this is something which can be studied scientifically to like, what's the most democratic system for making votes around things. And it's a very difficult business because it's basically impossible to have a perfect voting system, which balances everything you would want from it the same. But there are ones which are better and there are ones which are worse, certainly. And one thing that people agree on is that first past the post is not very good in almost any measure. Because, for example, proportional representation where the traditional model is that everybody votes and instead of voting for MPs, you vote for the party. And uh, that means that parties, for example, at the Green Party, who get a decent chunk of the vote, but only ever have one MP, they would be they would have way more MPs 
they'd be way more represented. So it's much more proportional to the support that people have for that party. One of the problems with that in its traditional way is that there's not so much local links. So it's not like, you know, we elect someone in Bournemouth who looks after the concerns of Bournemouth and they go to Parliament to talk on our behalf. But there are ways of making it a bit more like that. But yeah, there's a kind of constant give and take of different things, whether it's like either more proportional but less locally linked. And then there's different systems with runoffs and there's different systems with you allocate some through proportional representation and some through MPs. And there's also ranked voting where instead of saying, I will support this person, you say, I want this person. If not, I want this person. If not, I want this person. I definitely don't want this person. And so you have a bit more granular detail that can be expressed through voting, which can make things a lot more positive outcomes for people, like the broad swath of people who are voting. Was everything you just said about proportional representation, as in the options you just ran through there with the kind of the ordering and preferences and whatnot, like does that come from proportional representation? Uh, Yeah, the first part's proportional representation specifically. The second part is things like ranked voting are more like a method than a system so you can you can incorporate that into a proportional representative system yeah but pretty much all these different kinds of voting are used somewhere in the world and a lot of these more democratic ones are used in countries like the nordic countries a lot of european countries and different places in the world to kind of quite good effect because when we're talking about parties this is another thing i wanted to say is you know we look at china for example and they have a one party and we think that's like dystopia and we look at the UK and we have two parties and we think that's democracy. Well, if you have two parties that can win and they offer very similar policy, you might as well have one party. It's not very democratic. And if you have one party, to what extent this happens in China is a different conversation. But if you have one party in a country that is that moves with public sentiment and is quite movable by like social movements, arguably that's more democratic than having two that won't budge on things. And if you look at like the results of different elections, what they would be if they were more proportionally represented, instead of this kind of two chunks with like a few little different colored dots, you have like a rainbow coalition. So like the kind of debate becomes widened because you have more of a, a balanced diet of different kind of ideological arguments rather than just being like, I don't want these guys in, so I'll vote for this guy. I don't want this guy in, so I'll vote for this guy, which I think empowers people and also gets people interested because they have more of a say. Yeah, absolutely. I think more people would vote as well, wouldn't they? Because, yeah. you know, people give up on it. And if you're in an area which always votes for a particular way and, and you yeah. sort of you resign to the idea that that happens, well, that in itself means that it will continue to, you know, because lots of people are doing that. And so you're not voting <laughs> and, you know, yeah. who knows how many people and how far that could go to, to just secure that vote in itself. So to know that you are as you're voting in a like kind of in a through a system that your vote's going to be proportionately counted towards the percentage representation that that party gets in the general conversation. And when it comes to regional things, I mean, there's almost an argument that it's it's not that you're voting for which party you want to vote for locally that's then going to represent you, uh, because you're, you're voting on national issues for the party that you want to represent you locally in your local issues. Well, surely... Surely you could have something like, and I mean, I haven't done the recent research that that you have, but whether it be, I mean, people have an aversion to uh, voting for some reason. And so like kind of the more votes that kind of can be 
cause complaints and considering you know they are the fundamental thing that we need to engage in probably got to aim for the minimum amount of go out and vote today things so maybe these are voted at the same time but maybe you vote for the individual party agnostic that you want to vote that you want to uh, represent you locally at the same time as you're voting for the party that you want to represent you nationally or, or mm-hmm. something you know there was one that was yeah basically a mixture of national representation and local representation well, also, when we were talking recently, there was we watched a, a video where Navarra Media interviewed Jeremy Corbyn, and mm. he was talking about some changes that he'd make. And he 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 almost he had a a system proposed that involved a a body that was similar to was it the Senate in America? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the kind of electoral reform policy which was in momentum was about abolishing the House of Lords, who are unelected. And establishing a more similar to America system where you have like an elected Senate, which is separate to the House of Commons and the MPs. Because in America, obviously, they're in a two party system on steroid that, that we just talked about. It doesn't solve that. So how does going towards having a body like that, would that sit within a, a different solution to proportional representation? Or would that sit as, as a layer inside that? Like, And, and how does this introduction help us? Like if, if it's a shift towards American, to, toward the American system, then my mind always goes to like two party, like kind of only. Mm. So I'm sure that they aren't linked, hence they, they w- it would work, but how? So like, why is the kind of Senate structure not the reason for the two parties? Well, more, more to the point, because I think I know the answer personally to that, but like, as in, why would introducing that into the UK be beneficial? Because it would mean that instead of the House of Lords, where you have people who are appointed by yeah. government officials and yeah. are not accountable to the public in any direct way at all, yeah. you'd have people who are elected by us and can be replaced by us. Are they not the kind of the... Senators in America are like state, aren't they? But I mean, would they potentially be our regional representatives? That yeah, body? they could be. Yeah. So, so that the introduction of that body could be that piece that we were talking about of your representative locally that you want. Mm-hmm. But in America, senators belong to a party, don't they? Uh, yes, but they don't have to be. Okay. Because like Ted Cruz, for example, he's Republican and like, <laughs> and you've got Bernie Sanders. Well, that's the thing, right? Bernie Sanders is, is an independent. Yeah, he's an independent who runs as a Democrat when he has yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that shows you the things that are forced together in a two party system is you have AOC and Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden in the same party, which is a bit absurd. Yeah. Which I guess feeds into the like the run-ups to like who's going to re- represent the party. I mean, but then again, also the amount of another conversation for another day. But the senators, I was going to go into the whole like kind of depressing way that Bernie was prevented from mm. running and stuff. You know, like that. I was going to say I started off on a track that was leading me to saying like kind of they all have a chance to fight it off, and mm. then you know the amount of corruption within that that leads to <laughs> it going a particular direction is. Yeah. And and again, to open up the conversation, I don't think there should be a president. I'll link a video in the show notes, which is just basically about challenging the idea of a president and what there could be instead. Yeah. Because, you know, you have Joe Biden on the debate. He's like, I am the Democratic Party. And like that one person for like over 300 million citizens, like with the power over one of the parties and then like now the nation and kind of his whims guide the conversation. I also wonder 
because I agree with you on that and that'll be in the show notes because I was also thinking about whilst um, you're talking then the corporate influence within sort of America obviously yeah. like you've got two you've got two parties which are just sort of like funded by sponsors and it's no accident that these things the contradictions are the most heightened in America because America is currently the center of global capitalism and that's where you look to see the kind of the functions of a system like pe- people who think like the melting pot that's like the yeah, epicenter of the <laughs> it really is and and you can see it historically expand across yeah. the world and the people who are living on the edges of it are doing like the, the, the most dangerous and horrible things to feed it but you know people would decry those kinds of things as perversions of capitalism but that is capitalism in its rawest form mm. and it's only getting stronger mm. because the influence of capital you know in, the influence of capitalistic incentives bleeding into politics and the way that you can have donors like to a party i mean the very fact that that exists in itself is a legalized corruption almost of Mm. you know the politics who run for us and you know we have it less bad than america do here but there's keir starmer had some dodgy funders yeah completely yeah i mean uh, labor's currently moving away from the way that it has been as membership funded as it has been in the past. I mean, that's a specific agenda item that Keir Starmer has. Yeah. And what I was thinking, because, you know, the, the the party who's in power has to pay, but there's, a, there's an amount of money that kind of comes from you're running against the one in power. And there's like kind of in law, they have to be given. But wouldn't it be better if that was, I don't know how this would work, but that all money came from a public pot, you know, as in, it was a part of an effective tax system that, you know, sort of yeah. was produced elsewhere, not like kind of increasing everybody, like the real people, like not increasing the majority of people's taxes, but increasing the minority who pays zero percent, as in the wealthy minority, would then be split across the people who are running and be a source of being able to run. You know, like you spend it how you want to, but you cannot be funded by donors. Mm. A funny visual image that um, Robin Williams said was, imagine if politicians had to wear the brands that sponsored them like uh, NASCAR drivers do, where they have like a suit <laughs> and it just has all their biggest contributors. So they're like, oh, it, it's very obvious that you're not going to vote for this because that would put that person who's on your t-shirt in jeopardy. Yeah. And it's so it's so hidden from us and it's so pervasive. Pretty much every time the candidate who's the most, who has the most contributions and the most money will win. And so therefore the person who's most attractive to be funded by those private businesses will get funded and so they will win. So we have to get the money out of politics. And again, that's a structural thing. So this is now a direct address to liberals in my little <laughs> so in my little soapbox, which is if you understand an issue as structural and you describe it as such, but then any policy that you want is individually targeted, that doesn't make any sense. If you're trying to change something structural, you need structural policy changes which will necessarily be ambitious or broad. And so you can't square those two things. Yeah. When you get on your soapbox, I worry that it's going to offend someone. It just is complete sense. Just complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't worry that you insult someone. You'd never insult anybody. <laughs> there you go. I, did we even, did we fully, to the amount that we want to today, talk about the voting systems? I'm conscious of trying to hit our one hour nine minute Hmm. (laughs) it's basically yeah like working out what you want to prioritize specifically because any different system does better and worse in different areas 
But any a change to any of these other systems would work better than first past the post is, I think, the first thing to say. And then which one of those you prefer is a matter of what you're prioritizing specifically. Because it's interesting, if you watch videos that kind of show the results of different things through different electoral systems, it can change the result massively which system you're using in ways that are quite strange sometimes. Why don't we do a special? Like, I mean, we've got lots of things to do, but why don't we do a special on voting systems and mm. put each on the table, talk about them a bit, and then even sort of not rule out the possibility of mixing and playing around with and just seeing what like feels good, but like mostly just using that as a way to navigate through different systems and mm -hmm. possibilities within them. Yeah, I agree. We should do that. One thing, which is another compl complicating factor, which I hadn't considered before, which is interesting, is that a lot of these different voting systems encourage different kinds of tactical voting in order to make your vote count the most in certain ways. And that if they encourage tactical voting, that itself can be seen as a anti-democratic feature because if people aren't voting for what they want directly, then that's probably less democratic. But a lot of these can be gamed in obviously tiny ways by like choosing who you rank and how you vote or, and to try to like hurt an opponent more than the person you're voting for or however it works. If you're incentivized to vote tactically, that can also be an anti-democratic feature. I, bas I think it basically is, if voting tactically is the way you're supposed to vote in the system, that's kind of good. If there's a way you can vote that isn't what you want, but it's more tactical, if that's encouraged, then that's not very democratic. So Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, we'll, we'll cover that more because, I mean, um, it was requested and sort of is a really interesting subject and is one that kind of takes will take us even longer to pro like well take us a proper special to go through everything like we've discussed so we'll put that on the list along with loads of other things including many that we've already spoken about on that list is sort of many other international topics we've obviously been quite sort of uk focused on this episode and the last one because we were covering policies that are specific to us and Labour uh, as the party that kind of momentum is a subgroup of. So, so we we've been quite local. So maybe that calls for a a world tour in our next episode where we yeah. explore an international subject. And among those, you know, sort of we've already listed a few, including you know Myanmar, Yemen. We need to sort of revisit some of these topics in, that we have covered: Palestine, the Uyghurs, and sort of go into topics like islamophobia and and irish troubles was a sort of thing that you've been looking into more and more recently so we need to touch on that yeah because that, that's an interesting one i'd say briefly that is like a big deal around britain's role in ireland this massive issue this massive kind of thing which is still flaring up today with around the irish border and brexit uh, which we're not taught in school and isn't very readily available so i've been looking into that recently so i'll prepare something where we can talk about it properly in the upcoming episode. Similarly, you've got Navalny in Russia, who's currently in prison and released that big kind of expose around some corruption involving Putin's palace and stuff, which we'll talk about. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm really keen to, to sort of cover that soon. He's, I think he still is on his hunger strike. Yes. And so he's, a, he's in, he's, he's not doing, I mean, he's not going to be <laughs> doing yeah. well on that. And he was already having massive back issues and he's been moved to, I think, care, like sort of a care facility is, is the official line. I mean, it worries mm. me anything that comes out of there, but there's things going on. But they also recently released another sort of expose of sorts, but not kind of the, the long video uh, that mm. we also need to touch on, like you say, about the palace. Yeah. So that'd be a really interesting one soon. And then talking about going abroad, you've also got going abroad in time. 
So we'll talk about some historical issues. We'll probably go into Soviet communism and some of the things around that. So going into the past with Russia. And we'll probably touch on a lot of future topics to do with other planets, kind of expansion and different things, which you're really interested in as well. Yeah, I would love to, yeah, kind of get a bit of that in. We 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 both really enjoy those topics and they feed kind of interestingly into a lot of the, the things that we're here to talk about. So it would be fun mm. to explore, yeah, space through mm. conversation in a way that is relevant to some of the issues at hand and the implications mm. that they have. Because also like, when you think about the bigger implications of some of the decisions that we're making in the here and now, and that like kind of, you know, can feel like a grind, but you think about what like kind of is on the other side of that event horizon that kind of, you know, when it's achieved or wh- when something happens the massive implications that it could have in the not too distant future mm. that are sort of beyond the the planet you know potentially i yeah. to me it motivates me you know and um, yeah it's interesting you use that phrase because i was just thinking like this episode we're talking about the here and now and then perhaps next episode or very soon we'll talk about the there and then and we'll go abroad in time and we'll go abroad internationally and talk about some issues that are further afield yeah definitely definitely so to all those people who's come on board now in the here and now we can go we can trip we can move to the there and then (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, definitely so follow us on our journey and join in with your own journey and we'll all learn some things definitely and head to tripstheleft.com check out our patreon page there's a couple of like i say layers there that we've set up and if you're in a position to support us we really appreciate it if you're not then you know we completely understand these episodes mm-hmm. are still going out there for people to listen to we're going to mm-hmm. play around with some ideas for the, the the people that do come along and follow us which we're going to yep. kind of look and it'll be really helpful and it's it is expanding kind of democratized media and it and it really helps us Uh, like the last episode building momentum in this project which we hope to keep going and keep getting bigger and bigger so you could be really helpful with that yeah we've got some cool plan like really cool plans that like kind of you know when when the time comes it would be amazing to be in a position to do that and and that's what our listeners will help us do so thank you thank you Uh, um launch complete liftoff you bring the cheese i'll bring the crackers (laughs) 